0: New on CuriosityStream. I'm James Burke. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. James Burke's visionary series returns. Reimagined for our
1: time. Now, this is all uncharted territory.
0: The Washington Post hails Burke as one of the most intriguing minds in the Western world. The New York Times raves he careens from one great moment in history to another. Where do we want to go from here? Experience all new. Connections. So what's the next connection? With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at CuriosityStream.com.
1: Welcome into the awesome.com MMA strategy shows. We're here to get you ready for Saturday's UFC Vegas 56, an early card there in Las Vegas on Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Start one o'clock for myself and Pete here on the East Coast with the Prims. Of course, we'll be here on Saturday for live before a lot. Of course, we are sponsored by Prize Fix. Talk about some of the props over at Prize picks later on in the show. Of course, we have got a ton of fights to break down over the next hour. As always, I'm joined by the fighter, Pete Rogers, Jr. Good afternoon, Pete. How's it going, man? What's
2: going on, brother? Um, you know, good card. Well, not good card. Lots of fights. Back to having fights. A good stretch of them, so I can't wait.
1: So I'll give you a little uh, behind the scenes here. Me and Pete, uh, we were recording a show last night. You check over the Odd Shopper channel, the MMA Best Bets, and... uh Neither one of us had looked at the DraftKings uh, salaries, FanDuel salaries to new show or not out, and Pete's like, "Hey man, you, you want to look at Aaron Blanchfield's salary? Because <laughs> he already did." When I was like, ooh, "Ooh, that is a pricey salary."
2: It is, but man, it's it's reflective of her skill. It really is. Like she's yeah. so she's so talented. I have high hopes for her. Um, she might be like my Tom Aspinall for the women's MMA, truthfully. Like, I, I really love Manon Firo but I think that Blandfield might have taken it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about her ceiling is so high. We'll talk about her later on the show. Of course, uh, Damon Jackson got a new opponent earlier this week, a man coming off a title win at LFA, got a split decision, 25-minute war, and returning here in a month uh, later. So we'll talk about that. As we do go on, but Pete, let's just get right into these fights. Heavyweight matchup: Alexander Volkov taking on Josino Rosenstruck. Josino Rosenstruck, the underdog in this one. He is seventy six hundred over on DraftKings, eighty six hundred for alexander volkov and you know Pete, when i when i think about this fight and, and i think about you know rosenstruck is a guy who you know you gotta avoid the big bombs that he has in his hands he, he's not a guy that is going to be extremely active in the fight where you got volkov coming into this matchup where if anyone saw the article it's over at ufc.com he talked about how he changed up how he prepared for this matchup. He went to the mountains in Russia, as opposed to training there in Moscow, finishing up his camp in LA at black house. Uh, you know, to me, if you're Rosenstruck and by the way, Rosenstruck uh, kind of alluded to the fact yesterday that he believes that Volkov will go the takedown route. Uh, I don't know about that one. I just don't see that one happen. Look, I, I just think why, well, I, as I look at this fight, Pete, and in terms of GPPs, I want to get on both sides of the equation here, because obviously, Even though you do have low volume Rosenstruck, the the knockout, it could potentially be there. But why don't I just I think of Volkov and I just think he's going to try to put this fight up against the fence and and make this kind of a dirty clinch type fight.
2: I I, he could right like and you mentioned mountains. So I'm all in. I'm all behind (laughs) Volkov because I no, I, I really like Volkov, truthfully, Um it's a lean towards Volkov. I do respect the power of Jerzy and Rosenstruck. And because of the power, you have to have exposure to Rosenstruck. Um, just because he has that death touch and uh, he can really just turn the tide of a fight with one shot. His problem is his volume and just being a little lackadaisical at times and falling behind and uh, allowing his opponents to, to dictate the pace and the volume of the fight, waiting for the perfect shot. And the perfect shot's not always going to come. Um, I don't necessarily think like Rosenstruck touches your chin and you automatically go out, but he has like um, unbelievable power for the division and it is heavyweight MMA. So anything can happen. I do love the set of Alexander Volkov and it's primarily just, uh, it might be like a buy low spot where everybody's down on Volkov because he lost to my boy, Tom Aspinall. But I, I don't think that he looked great in that performance, but I think it's more so about Tom Aspinall than it is Volkov. Um, just having the threat of the takedown is going to make you a little gun shy. And I think that's what you saw with Volkov is just not knowing what to do. You, you can't necessarily go out there and have your full set of skills on display. Whereas, you know, in the stand-up fight against your senior Rosenstruck, you can get back to long range attacks, good front kicks to the body, um, just setting up head kicks uh, and, and, you know, having superior footwork. So I am leaning in, in Volkov's favor. I am predicting a Volkov decision just because Jerzinho won't necessarily push the pace. He has mentioned that he wants to push the pace and get a little bit more aggressive, but you know how this is with the media and people talking about the fights. You don't necessarily back it until you see it in the cage because people say anything. Um, We would like to believe that Borja goes out there and is a little bit more aggressive at his salary of 7,600. One of the best underdogs on the slate because of it's five rounds to work with and five rounds to possibly find the chin of Volkov. But I am leaning in the more superior-skilled fighter in Volkov's favor.
1: I think the only question is, is a 25-minute decision, can Volkov be optimal?
2: That's a, that's a good question, right? Like um, in all of his fights, the most takedowns that he has attempted is two. So I, I think that he could take Rosen, Rosenstruck down. I do believe that Volkov has the you know more well-rounded game if he wants to do that. I don't think that he needs to do that. But whenever you get hit, sometimes you – it kind of forces your hand right, like it's oh man, you know, I'm rocked on the feet and I'm just going to tie up with them and take it down. I do think that there is a possibility of uh Volkov having a sneaky finish as well. Um, Jerzy strike on the kickboxing circuit is is great, great at being the hammer. Um, and you know, you find this a lot with a lot of fighters, especially in heavyweight MMA. You know, they're swinging small gloves, and you know, he's been knocked out in the past once against Francis and once in his kickboxing career as well. So, like, I, I view Volkov striking, like, at the highest level. So I'm not counting out a, a Volkov, you know, finish. But I think the more likely scenario is Volkov coasting to a decisive win.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I prefer Volkov in this one. But I think in terms of when we're talking about a GPP aspect, I don't mind getting the Rosenstruck because of that knockout ability. Of course, give us a like and subscribe so you keep up with all of these shows we here have, have on Osmo.com. DFS offers giveaways and so much more, of course, once you're subscribed, be sure to hit that notification bell so you know when a show goes live on the channel. And of course, if you're not an also plus member and you want to get a little peek what's behind the paywall taste, free premium tools and they are MLB player projections and MLB ownership projections. Of course, we we'll also have you covered all day long at the MLB live before lock later on today. And then, of course, we'll have you covered for tonight's NBA finals game one deeper dive starting at seven and live before lock starting at 8 p.m. Now, the co-main event of this fight car will be Dan Ige taking on uh, Evaleb, Evaleb, a massive betting favorite. This one, a four to one betting favorite. Uh, Dan Ige over a 3-1 to betting underdog in this one. Of course, Dan Ige, 6,800 is a salary over on DraftKings. For Evalev, 9,400. Pete, let me just put it to you like this. If Chan Sung Jung can get three takedowns against Dan Ige, how many can Evelev get?
2: I hate that narrative. I truthfully hate that narrative. And the reason I hate that is because, like, Chan Sung Jung, like, when, when a fight is, when you're going up against a striker in Chan Sung Jung, who I think has an underrated ground game, um, you know, sneaky submission ability, i it, mma mma math like that doesn't necessarily work um i think you can get caught off guard by by having somebody pull out takedowns when you're not expecting it and i think that's what happened in the chance Jung fight i do think that envelope can get takedowns in this fight for sure i i like danny gay and i really wanted to back him here in this situation because like danny is my guy I, I really like him he has good boxing Solid jiu-jitsu, like really good jiu-jitsu, actually. But it's the wrestling defense where, yeah, he, he can get controlled on the mat. So I understand what you're saying. But I also think like some of those takedowns are credited because it was just, you know, it caught him off guard. And uh, Evloev, I think, is the hype is real. I think that he's he's good. I don't necessarily think that he's like the next big thing. But I think that he's very solid, comes from a good camp. Same with Danny Ige, though, coming from a good camp in Extreme Couture. So I'm interested to see the clash here. I don't like the odds, truthfully. Like, I think it's far too wide, and I think I EA that. could actually make this a much more competitive fight than, than the odds suggest. So, like, I think everybody might might want to back Evelov here this week, and I understand it because against the against Hakeem D- uh, Dawadu, he went 9 of 13 in the takedown department and scored 138, which completely just killed the slate. He went 4 of 11 against Enrique Barzola, which, you know, Enrique Barzola is a talented uh, wrestler in his own right. Five of 16 against Sungwoo Choi scored 110. I think that there's plenty of options out there. And Ige can make this competitive. And, you know, if he threatens with a guillotine, similar to how Nick Lentz did, maybe uh, Evoluev is a little bit more wise to the takedown. So I'm um, back in Evoluev, but I think that Ige needs some, some more respect here.
1: I mean, look, Ege for the most part, is primarily fought against strikers in the UFC. Now, I will of that with Mirsad Bektik, had three takedowns against him back in the day. So I think that's something to throw out there. You know, listen to Dan Ige and his chat with the media yesterday. Kind of the, the things that really stuck out to me was uh, he went uh, – he spent uh, a month with Justin Gaethje in Colorado. Yeah. And uh, Gaethje was talking to him about his mindset against Gavin Tucker. And uh, basically the line was, Justin Gaethje says – didn't you want to F him up all, all, all hours of the day? and, and like, like that to me is like the perfect Justin Gagey quote, you know, yeah. like we say Justin Gagey, that's what you think of. But like Pete, that's like a mindset you got to have though.
2: Yeah, I mean but and then Danny Gay following that visit with Gaethje went and uh and, and trained with Henry Cejudo. and you're talking about two opposite ends of the spectrum. You're talking about a guy who who has such a calculated mindset and thinks about the probability of winning and Justin Gagey going there just kind of like that just scrap mentality. So, yeah, he, I think it's a blend of both.
1: He also talked about the fact of he did a a Russian like mini camp and like he gets he gets asked about this after he brings it up. And like, he's very sketchy on the details of who was involved. It kind of sounds like it was around the time of when the Ukraine Russia scandal started. Mm. And maybe he didn't want to kind of allude to maybe who who he was working with, Mm. which I probably would raise a lot of questions. I think a lot Mm. of people maybe in Las Vegas area would have raised a lot of questions. But the thing that he talked about, he said, he goes, he was grappling every single day and was uh, sparring three times a week, which was something that he says he normally just doesn't do. And and you could tell that he understands He understands the pace that is coming, but I thought one of the more interesting things that he did say, he said, he goes, even though Evilev knows he's got the wrestling in his back pocket, if he thinks he's better than you on the feet, he won't even go to the wrestling.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm taking shots on Dan Ige here, truthfully. Just, you know, some, some dart throws. I, I put him in the dart throw category just because, you know, up until last week, we had a, a large stretch of 6,000 fighters coming through yeah. and uh, it, it doesn't happen that often, but man, I, we were on such a streak that I can't avoid it. And I also think that the, the odds are just a little, too, little too wide. So I do think that there's some value on taking shots at Danny gave, but everything I've seen of Evloev and just um, the, the control time could be enough to get this decision win.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things, Uh you know, even at his price point, 6,800, if he goes out there and he gets a three-round decision. 6,800 It's going to allow you to get Mm -hmm. so much there. Let's move over to the next matchup, the matchup between the Brazilian and the United States fighter as we got Mike Trezano taking on Lucas Almeida. Lucas Almeida, he is 7,100. Trezano, 9,100. Slight betting favorite here. A little little over 2-1 to betting favorite here for Mike Trezano. Uh, The reach exactly the same to these two guys.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Almeida is going to open some eyes this weekend just because of how aggressive he is and how talented he is on the feet and typically a prolific uh, finisher. This is a massive step up in competition against Michael Trezano, though, if I'm being for real. Um, I I think that Michael Trezano, you know, being the ultimate fighter winner, um, hasn't necessarily showcased all of his skills inside the octagon. And it's largely due to his low output, his low volume is somewhat where it's like it's lackadaisical and, and we sit there and we're like, OK, well, he fell behind significantly. It's Hakeem Dawadu. Uh, but, but he does have a nice victory of uh, Ladova Klein, which which definitely has aged well. Um, I will say that I listened to Trezano talk about how he wants to find a finish, which I found interesting, similar to how like Caitlin Chukagian wants to find a finish. But, um, you know, he, he's talking about picking up his volume. And I think that, you know, his coaches have definitely looked at it and said, hey, we need more output. And he will need more output in this situation against Lucas Almeida, who will be pressing the issue as he did on his contender series fight and has as he has done on the local scene. Um, I think that sneaky takedowns are there for Trezano. This is a fight where I will be sprinkling in the underdog Almeida just because if Trezano doesn't go out there and increase his volume, right? Like this is all depending. Like he may go out there and just fight the same, same fight that he always does, um, barely breaking... 130, you know, significant strikes thrown. He threw that against Akeem Dawadu, and Dawadu really, really just outproduced him there. Um, he could, he could lose a decision here at Lucas Almeida, but for me, for my money, I'm going to back Trezano, and I'm going to back Trezano via decision. That's how I'm thinking. And uh, for the nine thousand options, where there's no real reason, anything that we have seen to this point, where he will pay that 9100 price tag. There's other fighters on on the card that will pay that price tag a little bit better. So. He's probably the the fade of the 9,000, but with that comes a ton of leverage if he does go out there and change his strategy.
1: That's something I talk about every single week is when you're an also a plus member, you get access to our ownership projections. One of the things I'm always looking at is who are those 9,000 options that are just not getting a high ownership? And that's something you have to always look forward to. And, of course, if you want to get access to all the great Awesome o Plus tools and content we have out there for nearly every DFS sport, you got to sign up for Awesome o Plus Platinum Pass. Of course, this gives you full access to all the premium content tools on Awesomeo.com including player projections, ownership projections, lineup builder, our premium Discord channel and so much more. And if you're a new user of Also Plus Platinum, we've got a great offer for you today. As you can save 50% off your first month of Also Plus Platinum. All you have to do is click the link in the video description below to activate this offer, or you can head over to our joint page and use the promo code Show. That's all caps, one word, Show for 50% off your first month of Also Plus Platinum. Again, this is for new users only. And if you're just interested in playing MMA DFS, you you sign up for an Also Plus MMA package. As low as $295 weekly. Of course, Fancy Cruncher is an add-on and is not in our base package, but can easily be added at checkout. Stop guessing, start winning, join Awesomo Plus today. Pete, let's move over to the next matchup. This will be a female matchup. You got Silla taking on Botello. Botello, the underdog in this one at 8,8200 for the debuting fighter coming off the Dana White's contender series. And, uh, you know, Botello, yesterday she talked about the fact that she knows, she fully believes that her job is on the line here. And when you look at uh, her lack of success in her past couple fights, no question, she's got to get a win to save the UFC.
2: Yeah, I mean, women's MMA this week is something outside of the Blanchfield fight where I'm, I'm torn and not necessarily interested, just because it's so much volatility and unknowns and wide range of outcomes and all that stuff that we're not sure of what can happen here. So, uh, Kareem Silva uh, in Dana White's Contender Series, uh, powerful wrestling, powerful wrestling, questionable gas tank, um, solid submission skills, uh, a Patello, good striking. Eh, in, the, in the wrestling department and uh, jujitsu, she's kind of, she's all right. Um, my issue is just the cardio of her as well. So you have two fighters with poor cardio. Um, you have Botello who has a stronger strength of schedule and mainly just because she's fought under the UFC banner. Um, she's fought Luana Carolina, Jillian Robertson, Cynthia Calvillo, uh, Mueller, Kondo, and Gonzalez are not necessarily UFC level, but it's still experience under the lights of the UFC. Um, I'm really like uh, it's the Calvillo and the Robertson and Carolina fights where it's like, okay, she's been here before. And I think that she can handle adversity against a newcomer a little bit better. I mean, just having a newcomer come in off Dana White's contender series as a favorite is something to be somewhat skeptical, uh, skeptical about and Karine Silva outside of like having strong wrestling, her striking I think will fall behind Botello and her submission defense doesn't necessarily look the best now offensively she's okay but defensively she makes mistakes and i'm going to back poliana botello slightly just coming from a stronger camp in nova uniao and uh this smells like you know uh, armbar from guard it really does jason like i'm telling you it's probably going to happen and uh, i'm going to slightly lean towards poliana botello but literally this is a volatile fight between two fighters with poor cardio and lower level skills so it's a it's a lean towards botello for me
1: when you talk about Novin Yao, I think Andre Pedneris and uh, after uh, when, um, the last UFC car with Holly Holm and uh, Caleb Vieira. Watched on the couch my wife is sitting next to me and as Andre Pedneris is just giving it to Caleb Vieira after the fourth round. Yeah. I mean, he's being brutally honest. I mean, let's be yep. honest, but he was definitely a coach who did not think his fire was winning the fight. <laughs> Very clearly. My wife looks at me. She goes, is he going to talk to her like that? I'm like, yeah.
2: Yeah, but you need that though, and that's like for me. I've looked into a lot of Kareem Silva and who she's training with, and so many unknowns. So I'm going to back the stronger team, the stronger coach, the stronger camp, and uh, not necessarily a narrative that I like to back a lot. But in a close fight, that's how I'm gonna how I'm going to judge it.
1: Next up, we got Osborne taking on Adeshev. Osborne 8973 hundred for Adeshev.
2: Man, I'm going to be ruined for my boy, Zarouk. I really am. Uh, I know Zarouk, and uh, I don't know. They're not necessarily giving him the easiest matchups. The Benoit fight was fine. Um, you know, fighting Tyson Nam uh, on, a, on a short notice was was terrible. And then following it up against Sumu Derji, like, man, this the UFC's really not giving him any any help at all. But, I mean, you're in the UFC, and you should be expecting to take, take on tough challengers. Now, the issue here in this fight, For my boy Zaruk, is that he's going to have an eight inch reach disadvantage against Odey Osborne. Odey Osborne, you know, a southpaw and uh, very dynamic. So, like, he can mix in takedowns, which is something I think where Zaruk could possibly fall behind just because of being the smaller fighter in this situation. And Zaruk is uh, talented on the feet. I am worried about just the length of Osborne. So, um, I'm going to personally be back, like, you know, rooting for my buddy. But I do th- think that Odie Osborne has some of the best, like sneaky potential on the like, slate, given his salary. So he- he's sitting there at 8,900. Um, but he has some decent round one percentage. And, uh, you know, anything similar to the Jerome Rivera fight could happen here. And uh, he could also go to the takedown well where, where against CJ Vergara, he attempted seven takedowns. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a finish, it could just be a well rounded um, performance and Odie Osborne, 8,900 could smash that salary. So, uh, I hope Zuru pulls it off, but I think Odie Osborne's clearly the side.
1: Yeah. I mean, and looking at some of our ownership projections. Odie does pop off a little bit to me, just based on what we're seeing at ownership projections for him. And, you know, you mentioned about potentially a first round finish and, and can he use that uh, sizable reach advantage he has uh, in this one. Next up, we got a matchup that uh, I think it, the more the talk about this fight probably has been about what's going on with Askar. Um, what has been going on outside of uh, the actual in competition with him. He, of course, he's taking on Alonzo Minifield, Minifield A700, Askar 7,500. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go over to Dog And they wrote a piece basically about the fact of uh, his team was basically trying to inflate his record. And if you've noticed, his record has drastically changed over the past couple of days. Um, I want to say at one point he was like 21 and 7, maybe 25 and 7, something like that. He's now 19 and 12 on topology. Um, it basically, and She outlined some of the issues they've gone through there, but like uh, this fight has got GPP written all over it. This fight probably doesn't hit round two, most likely.
2: Yeah. I mean, this fight to me just is violence and uh, the violence play is the under as Jason has alluded to on our odd Chopper video. And I, I think that, you know, this is probably going to be a part of the optimal lineup. Um, anytime that there's a dangerous round one guy, you have to have interest. And I think that Askar Mojarov is getting a lot of negative press this week and deservedly so. Right. But with all that negative press could come, and overcompensation in uh, ownership where people aren't necessarily respecting his round one ability. I understand that you go through his record and you see that he's primarily a fraud, but he actually has skills. Like if you actually go back and you watch when he's the one pressing forward and being the bully, that's what he is. He's a bully in there. When he's able to bully his opponents and he's able to uh, get off combinations first, he looks good. His kicks are pretty phenomenal, honestly. Like, he can go out there and spin and hook kick Alonzo Menafield and next thing you know, everybody's talking about how talented this guy is. That's how dynamic he is. But he can get reversed in positions, he can get out wrestled, and then he can quit as well. So, like, if Alonzo Menafield presses the issue and goes, goes forward with zero respect, punches him in the face and says, hey, this is the UFC, you could see a situation where Menafield smashes that salary. And I think that is the more logical and more likely situation. 8,700, one of the best pound-for-pound pound values on the slate for a fight that is not going to go the distance. If it goes the distance, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do because I just don't predict it to go the distance. Uh, <laughs> Menafield 8,700 is going to be an incredible play. But with that being said, if nobody's getting – I'm going to wait for ownership. If nobody's getting to Mozarov round one, guys, like similar to Petrosky, right, where everybody was thinking Maximov, including myself, was going to outclass him. If they have a path to victory, it's in round one. And that's where Mozarov's the most dangerous. So he needs some exposure.
1: So I'll mention, so this was an article written by Cageside Press where uh, they Mozov did an interview yesterday with the media and the article says there was some confusion and lead up to his UFC debut about his professional fight record. He explained why the change was made. Quote, I spent so much time since the age of 18 fighting professional fights, fighting pretty much anyone that I could. A lot of the fights I had were in China, the organizations they had did not add fights after. So you have to really pursue it to make sure they add the fights that you have to. So they make sure that they have it on record. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that, is, that said it hurt my brain, Jason.
1: This is actually a situation that lasts seven or eight years. No one mentioned anything. No one said anything. Now, when I get up to the biggest promotion, I'm in the UFC. I guess someone or one of the admins wants to prove to himself. It's a little bit weird, right? Well, apparently, Dog has receipts on this, bro. Yeah, and Sure Dog outlines the fact of he's changed his name a couple of times. Yeah. And one thing that can't be denied is the fact of you look at a majority of his career, you look at the victories, not great competition.
2: No, not great competition. And a lot of the competition quits when the, when the going gets tough.
1: Here's what I'll say is hmm. if Alonzo Minnefield wins and the UFC parts ways with him after one fight, that would be very be And yeah. also remember he had a USADA suspension as well. So
2: yeah, this guy's a headache, right? Like he's just a headache for the promotion and uh, not, you know, not every fighter that poses all these problems. The, the promotion is not going to work with everybody. You know what I mean? Like the Diaz brothers and all that, like, and even some prospects, they'll work with you and be like, all right, let's get through this tough time and, and possibly see. This could just be like, he's, he's too much to deal with. It's, it's just drama. So let, let's part but, ways with him. So.
1: But I don't know how you avoid this fight in GPPs.
2: No, you can't. Truthfully. I mean, just given the salary. I mean, Menafield um for a UFC fighter at 8,700 with all this experience against William Knight, Ed Herman, Fabio Chiron, OSP. Now, the OSP fight didn't go his way. And he ran into a shot and got knocked out in the second round. I'm telling you right now that Mozarov has power in his hands, and he has incredible kicks. So if Metafield goes out there and doesn't respect him, and he gets a little too wild, he could run into a shot. This happens all the time. But I have to tell you the most logical situation, and that's that Metafield walks right through Mozarov.
1: Now, as much as I like getting that fight in GPP, the next fight, I really don't want to get in GPPs. Oh, That's Felice Herrick and Carolina Kovacavich. I think the rematch, I don't know if anybody was asking for. 8,300 for Felice Herrick, 7,900 for Kovacevich. Uh, You know, what the storyline with Felice Herrick heading into this will be her first fight since coming back from a, a major knee injury. Uh, you know, she has not been very active even before the, the knee injury. Carolina uh now trained at ATT. This is... Like I look at this from a, a GPP aspect, Pete, and I'm going, okay, how is this fight optimal? Great price tag on both on both fighters. Let's, you know, when we're talking about building lineups, but I just, as I think about how I think this fight's playing out, I just don't see how this fight's optimal, Pete.
2: I was thinking that, and then I I went back into the log, and I'm sitting there, and I see, you know, the first victory for Carolina uh, Kowalkiewicz over Felice Herrick. She scored ninety point three three points, so at seventy nine hundred, that's a pretty solid score. The yeah. thing is, is that there's 14 fights on this card. So the chances of 90 getting into the optimal, I think are less than a smaller card. Whereas like, I think you might have six fighters with hundred points, like truthfully, everybody's going to have a hundred points. And uh, how the hell can you trust Carolina Kovaciewicz to this point? I mean, she's lost <sighs> one, two, three, four, five, five fights in a row to Jessica Penne, Jan Janan, Alexa Grasso, Michelle Watterson, Jessica Andrasz. Now that's like some solid competition, um, a split decision over Felice Herrig, and a win over Jody Escabel. But like, I mean, this girl, outside of throwing one twos and just straight punches and and volume, I don't necessarily think that she's all that skilled. And I think she's a, a shell of herself since that Jessica Andrade KO loss. Like uh, certain fighters, you see them; they're different. They've changed. She threw two hundred and thirty-two strikes against Alexa Grasso, who. I hold in high regard. She only landed ninety of them, and she scored thirty-seven in a loss. Felice Herrig, how the hell do you back her, or how do you have confidence in her as uh, well? I mean, that's, that so was exactly the
1: to... point I was going to bring up to you.
2: Yeah, like I mean, I, I I can say the same thing about both. And this is literally the most difficult fight for me on the entire slate. And I I just might take a hands-off approach, where I might not even touch the fight. And if it happens to make it into the optimal lineup, then so be it. But like. I'd rather not sit there and sweat out this fight. I mean, it's women's MMA and neither one of them have, have typically scored the best. My thing is if Felice Harris goes out there with a wrestling heavy game plan, that's how she could win rounds here. Uh, attempted five takedowns against Carolina Kovacavich was unsuccessful against, you know, in all five um, took Michelle Waterson down once out of four times. So I don't know. She's training with my buddy uh, Valley flow. Um, And belly flow striking, so it's like, I think her striking might be a little bit better than it used to be, but I just really have no damn idea. Like, I really have no idea. Do you have a confident lean in this one?
1: No, no.
3: I I mean... Price picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepickscom play100 and use code PLAY100. That's code PLAY100 at pricepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and
2: OLED TVs powered by the neural Quantum processor, because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. If you're, vo- if you're talking volume, then it's got to be a pick towards Karolina Kovaciewicz, as my buddy Aiden suggests, and volume could be a factor. And that's how like we see women's MMA sometimes making it into the optimal lineup where it's like, you know, high volume fight, they stand up, neither one will get taken down and they score 95 points. Like given 7,900 salary, that's fine. But man, goodness gracious.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think this is a fight that I would probably be more interested in looking at some of the props over at Prize Picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like Fleece Hair, her number is 70 and a half. Significant strikes me. I think that's something to, to look at over there. Of course, this show is sponsored by Prize Picks. Of course, over at Prize Picks, they'll match your first deposit up to $100. Be sure to use that promo code AUSTIMO. And of course, uh, you can use all the prop tools we have over at AWESOMO.com help build your lineups. And uh, hopefully, uh, you. You got on these props earlier in the week. Those Alonzo Minifield props that aren't there right now. Uh, hopefully you got on those props, but I'll tell you a, a fight time prop that I do like. I like the over 19 on Alexander Volkov here on, in terms of fight time.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's how I'm predicting the fight's going to go. If Jerzy, you know, touches him and he knocks him out, it's not going to work well for us. But uh, I, I do think Volkov overs is nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at some other ones that kind of stick out to me. We're going to talk about Joe Selecki here in a minute. That uh, over two takedowns is something that's kind of interesting to me just because you you know what his pedigree is. I mean, he's a grappler. He wants to get uh, the matchup to the ground over there. That's going to be something. Uh, Evalev three and a half takedowns is another one. Um, if that number got to three, I'd really like the over. I don't think it's going to get the three.
2: I think, it's, I think that's a good one. Honestly, I think that's a sneaky good one because Dan Ige is going to be talented enough to work back to his feet and he could get taken down again. And it's not like he has a Nick Lentz guillotine to necessarily threaten with. Um, so I, I actually like the over on that, truthfully.
1: And and if your mindset is like me thinking that we're going to see five rounds in the main event, I like the over on total strikes land for Alexander Volkov, which is 79 and a half. If that thing goes 25 minutes, I would be shocked he doesn't get at least 80 significant strikes.
2: Yeah, he might throw 50 front kicks. So uh, I think that's a that's a good number to target.
1: Of course, be sure to check out our sponsor, Prize Picks, and be sure to use that promo code OSBOS. They got instant first match deposit of up to one hundred dollars. I will tell you, I'll be over on Price Picks later on today, making all of my uh, my props for tonight's NBA playoff game. Because Pete, here's what I'm just gonna say: you know they're gonna chuck some threes. You know oh, they yes, are. Sir. <laughs> you know they are. That's one of those lines overall on the NBA side. They always look at three pointers made because uh, you just know, you know, in today's NBA.
2: Oh yeah, of course. They chuck them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I can't wait. Truthfully, for the I said the fight for the game, and uh, yeah, I'll be dabbling in some, you know, some parlays, and, and and possibly, you know, mixing in some NBA with some MMA picks.
1: No doubt about it. Chris mentioned about Joe Slucky. He's the next match. we're going to talk about. Joe Slucky taking on Alex Silva. Eighty eight hundred for Slucky, seventy four hundred for Alex Silva. And uh, you know, when I think of Joe Slucky, I think of jiu-jitsu.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I really like Joe Selecki, truthfully. I mean, he has been competing on the regional scene, not the regional scene, the grappling circuit, uh, just staying active. And uh, I really like how fighters are doing that because, like, listen, we need money. So, like, if we're not getting fights and they're able to to stay active and it's going to level them up and keep that competition mindset, I love it. So Selecki's been staying active and, and looking damn good. Like, his grappling is so strong.
1: Here's an interesting note for you, uh, John Morgan, who does uh, play-by-play for CFFC, and they do those fury gla- uh, grappling. Yeah, he was saying that the uh, the one um, the one thing the UFC puts in as a stipulation, if any of their fighters do a grappling event, no heel hooks.
2: I love it. Yeah, because it could be a career ender. I like that.
1: Yeah, I do like I, that. I mean I don't, I don't yeah. know if you heard about what happened last Saturday at the uh Fury Grappling event. No. So, Clay Gue was supposed to take on um Alex Saris. So So gets to, gets to uh I want to say it was in New Jersey? Maybe in AC, if not AC maybe Philly. And uh, gets off the plane and he's just having back spasms, back spasms. Can't can't, you know, and- Oh, I saw who stepped in. Yeah. The CFFC president, who by the way is a black belt, apparently, uh, John Morgan, tell the story. He goes, "It's like an hour and a half before he's supposed to go grapple Clay. He's working away because he's the president of the organization, oh, and he it. goes in there and uh, and he said and he said he goes, uh, guy, I want to say his uh, first name is Brad. He's like he goes, he goes, he and admitted to him like he goes, I had robot a this year, and he goes, unfortunately, leg locks are like my, my thing." <laughs>
2: that's funny. And, uh, Guida, Guida had no mercy. And I think he submitted one, an arm triangle, if I remember correctly. And just like, yeah, he choked the hell out of him. but, uh, you know, props to him for stepping up on short notice.
1: Yeah. To step up there. But yeah, I, I thought that just like, you know, mentioning kind of what you're talking about, made yeah. me think about the fact of, you know, the one stipulation the UFC has is, is no heel hooks because we, I mean, how many times have we seen in an MMA fight where someone lands a heel hook and, uh, you know, they're going to be gone for a while.
2: Yeah, and, and it's a good point, and I actually really like that rule. And Joe Selecki's been staying active, and his jujitsu is just incredible. It's the fact of accepting position on his back if he gets in that situation. And I think that Alex Da De Silva deserves some sprinkles here, truthfully, because at 7,400, he looked damn good against Brad Riddell, um, and the box score doesn't necessarily show that. He scored 54 in a loss, um, went 3 of 9 in the takedown department, If he attempts the same takedowns against Joe Selecki, he could be uh, running into a very quick submission loss. And uh, I think that he needs to, you know, scramble and possibly reverse positions against Joe Selecki because Selecki is going to be hunting the back. And uh, or, or De Silva needs to keep this on the feet because if this is on the feet, I think De Silva has a better chance than Selecki. Selecki needs to close distance and initiate the grappling ASAP. So outside of a few sprinkles for De Silva winning a decision in a striking battle or possibly knocking him out, I think the more likely situation is Selecki takes him down, gets the back, and gets a submission finish inside the distance. Um, I I mean, he could ground and pound him, but I I think that his submission chops are just, you know, excellent. So 8,800, one of the best values on the slate as well. Um, It's just the worry if he doesn't get the takedown.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, that's that's the one thing we when you're talking about a submission, um, experts and trains out there, of salty dog jiu jitsu, which is uh run by John Salter, the Bell middleweight. But uh, yeah, I mean, Joe Slucky would be a guy that you gotta be looking for in, in terms of getting that submission finish here. Next up, we got a matchup of Damon Jackson taking on a fire, stepping up here on short notice, Dan. Argueta coming off a title win in LFA, a 25 minute split decision victory, stepping up here. And uh, Damon Jackson looked absolutely fabulous in his last fight, has a new contract now uh, with the UFC. Pete, what's your take?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think naturally everybody's going to like, you know, Damon Jackson. So if you don't get the Blanchfield, Jackson looks like a 1A, well, one 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 b to 1A. You know, like I really love uh, Blanchfield this week, but um, you're getting a, a sizable favorite here at 9500. Um and a guy that's, uh, you know, competing a weight class higher in Dan Argetta. So, uh, I mean, this could be a situation where the wrestling cancels each other out, or Jackson just has the superior wrestling throughout his career. He's not the most trustworthy fighter. I think that he's a very solid fighter, but his striking defense, he can get hit really hard, and he has been, you know, submitted in the past as well. But like, I think that the experience of Damon Jackson against a relatively green Dan Argetta, if you want to compare the two, is just going to be enough here. Uh, I mean, even striking Damon Jackson could have moments. It's just if if their wrestling cancels each other out, what happens? Mm-hmm. Does he pay off that price tag? Probably not. So like I still like Damon Jackson, but this is like uh, there's another 9,000 fire I can't wait to talk about that I really want to get exposure to. So it's a Damon Jackson win for me. Like Dan Argueta landing takedowns against Jackson is just silly because, like, you do that, you're going to get the Mercad bekdich treatment where you're going to get submitted, and Beckditch is a fantastic talent. But, uh, you know, getting submitted late against Damon Jackson just proves how live he always is to uh, to pull off a, a, a victory from the jaws of defeat.
1: And Forrest is one of those teams that we do like to back there, what they've been doing there. Uh, of course, under safe Saou. there. Next up, we got a matchup of Stolze and St. Denise. 7,700 for Stolze. 8,500 for St. Denise. Pete, which take?
2: I'll tell you what, St. Denis is a very, very, very tough fighter. He's so tough, and uh, the fight should have been stopped a lot earlier than it was in his debut. But granted, it was against a massive step-up of competition, And he was super aggressive with, uh, you know, in the takedown department, just hunting takedowns, takedowns, takedowns. But he ate a lot of punches with his face. And, um, you know, his striking defense was completely non-existent. So he went 2 of 14 in the takedown department, but his lack of control time is what allowed uh, Zaleski Dos Santos back to his feet. And Dos Santos just punished him everywhere throughout the fight. So this is an interesting spot where... We have Stolze, a guy who I thought was going to, um, I thought that he was going to, you know, look better in the UFC. Mm-hmm. And he, granted, it's he's had some tough competition um, going up against uh, Hamazan Amiv and uh, Jared Gooden. Two tough fighters, but I don't think his performances necessarily reflect how talented he is. Um, I'm expecting Stolze just to be a little bit better for 15 minutes. Saint Denis is a very dangerous round one type of guy, goes out there, hunts, finishes in the, in the submission department, but a sprawl and brawl mentality and uh, showcasing coming from a stronger camp in syndicate MMA is why I'm leaning in his direction at 7700. And I think everybody could be on the onto this where Saint Denis just took too much punishment. So how does he look in his return fight? He could literally just get lit up and possibly finished or... You know, that questionable gas tank, despite the toughness, just, you know, makes Stolze one of the best underdogs on the slate. But it's not necessarily a confident play because Saint thing he takes you down and, and, you know, over and over and over, you don't have a chance to necessarily win the fight.
1: Next up, we got a matchup that's supposed to take place a couple of years ago in King of the Cage. Now it takes place inside the UFC octagon. Tony Gravley and Johnny Munoz Jr. 8,400 for Tony Gravelly, 7,800 for Munoz. Uh, obviously, if you're Johnny Munoz, when you get this fight to the ground. Uh, Tony Gravely, I, I feel like he can win this fight wherever it goes, but obviously Munoz's best shot is if it goes to the mat.
2: Yeah, I mean, I really like Gravely, and I know that you really like Gravely. I think we might be split on the pick this week, truthfully. I, I think that I might be taking some shots on Johnny Munoz um, just because of his submission ability. And I know Tony Gravley's literally fought so many of these guys throughout his career and, you know, training with strong people uh, down in America's top team for some time. You know, you're dealing with those talented submission artists every single day. And he <laughs> went 11 of 15 in the takedown department against Simon Oliveira. It's just a lean towards Oliveira for me. I mean, it's a lean towards Johnny Munoz for me because I don't know, I'm not too confident in too many underdogs, and I do think the the grappling can somewhat negate each other. I think the kicks of Johnny Munoz are are a sneaky little a part of his game. Um, and I, I just think that as the going gets tough and Gravely is met with some resistance on some of these takedowns, he could fall into a submission. You know, the better minute winner and the better fighter overall 15 minutes is Tony Gravely, but it doesn't necessarily mean that Johnny Munoz is a bad play at 7,800. Yeah. So I'm back in. I'm back in Johnny Munoz.
1: I mean, look, we talk about it every week, you know, one punch, one takedown, one kick, and you know, ultimately change everything. I mean, like, to me, if you tell me this fight plays on the feet, I think it's Tony Gravely's fight to lose. If the fight goes to the ground, that's where it does become more interesting. I do like Tony Gravely in this spot. Uh, like the price point, but, um, you know, I understand that there are definitely reasons to take shot there on Johnny Munoz. Next up, we got Zalgis taking on Molina. Molina, 9,000 at 7,200 for Zogas. I'm pretty sure this is not the 9,000 fighter that you were alluding to. No, and you know, I,
2: you and I talked about this yesterday of how like I really like Jeff Molina, but it comes down to strength of schedule. So, like Molina's look great, but, you know, he he was losing large parts uh parts of that uh reaching Lang fight, but also like Daniel Lacerda, it looks like a, a you know, a true bust. Like Lacerda going out there and getting submitted pretty quickly to Bad Figueredo, just like I don't know, it kind of doesn't reinforce my feelings of Jeff Molina. It's kind of like, well, I don't think Lacerda was all that talented to begin with. And despite the fluffy record, I think that there's holes in it. Um, Molina finds himself in bad grappling situations throughout. And Zhogoslav has literally fought talented, talented fighters. Uh, Ali Bogatinov, um, Tyson Nam. I mean, like crazy fighters and has wins over them in the regional scene. In the UFC, he has an ugly box score. Like lost to Holly and Paiva doesn't do it justice because I thought that that in that fight that he looked good. Um, he has sneaky takedowns, and that is literally the path to victory here against Jeff Molina. Don't stay on the outside and don't get lit up from the long Molina. Um, just close the distance, incorporate takedowns, train an American top team, rebound from this devastating loss. This KO lost to Manel Cop, and uh, don't run into something stupid. So. I'm going to be back in Jalga Shimogolov because of the wrestling upside at 7,200. But man, like I really like Molina. And, and I don't necessarily always go against, I never go against uh, James Krause's gyms. Like it's pretty rare for me and I'm going to do so this week.
1: I know. I, you know, I don't do it. You know, I don't do it, but I'm going to go know, with Yeah, no question about it. Of course, one of the things that Pete and I love to see after the fights are over are those winning screenshots, or we want to see you go into the Awesome Hall of Fame this week. Of course, all you have to do is rock that awesome Avatar on your DFS profile, where you finish in the top three of a contest of over five thousand contestants, you can go into the Awesomeo Hall of Fame. Just gotta tweet those wins to so HOF, You'll win a free month of also Plus Platinum. Only one free month can be awarded to a user per calendar year. Congratulations, there to the Ugly Eight Game, taking down two different NBA contests last Friday, winning seventy thousand and one. And 7,000 other kudos to you, what you were able to do there. Also, you had uh, J187 taking down second place in two different MLB contests over there on FanDuel. Collected over $7,000. Kudos to you also. Uh, congratulations, Jordan, taking down second place in a MLB contest, winning $40,000 with only three bullets. Kudos to you, what you were able to do there. Also, you had Tall uh, Tale taking on $1,500 in an MLB contest. You got to check out all the great coverage we have for MLB for you here. Of course, live before lock. Later on today, also, you had uh, Monk taking down $500 there in an MLB contest. Also, you had uh, Dom taking down. A showdown contest over there for NBA. Kudos to you and love to see everyone go into the Oswald Hall of Fame this week. Love to see those winning screenshots there for the this week's UFC Vegas number 56. Two more matchups to go. And I think we have now gotten to the 9,000 fire that Pete loves. Well, I know he loves him because he told me this last night.
2: Yeah, I, I love Bernard uh Frak Radinoff. I really do. Um, I think that he has great round one potential. Um, and I think that he could get us a solid score and he's training an American top team. And that's kind of like my narrative this week. It's like, all right, if I'm, if I'm liking a fighter already, what really puts a stamp on it and solidifies my decision is if they're coming from a strong camp and training an American top team, it's the best of the best. There, there, there's no nope. team better. It, they have everything. They have the best wrestling rooms. They have uh, tons of top talent throughout there. That you can train with on the daily and prepare you, and great coaching staff as well. So, I really like Renat here at 9200, and I think that he has multiple paths to victory. He could knock out uh, Andreas Michalilis, who has been knocked out plenty of times throughout his career. Uh, I think almost in all of his defeats, if not all of them. And, uh, you know, Renat really pushes the issue and can can engage in in wrestling as well. And, and I think that's a sneaky spot that a lot of people aren't necessarily taking into consideration this week. Uh Andreas Mihilitas can get takedowns, but I don't think that he's the better wrestler here against uh, Renat. I think that Renat can uh chain together to better takedowns, get in top position, rain down heavy heavy ground and pound and uh he has some sneaky chokes as well. So, I really like Renat inside the distance against Andreas Mihilitas and Mihilitas in his UFC tenure has taken a lot of damage uh you know, the elbows the uh, against Modestus Bukowskis, but also the, the the last knockout loss to Alex Pereira. So, um, yeah, it's Renat Fakradinov for me. And uh, I think the UFC knows what they're doing in this situation. And at 9200 if you don't want to pay the premium for Blanchfield, who we'll get to, or you don't want to, you know, pay 9500 for Damon Jackson, I think that Renat's a, a popular pivot and one that I'll be uh, overweight to for sure.
1: To me, that's going to be part of the roster construction for this for this week is what 9,000 fighters do you get? Also, we start building lineups around. You mentioned about Aaron Blanchard. She'll be in the opening fight of the night. She's 9,600. Taking on J.J. Aldrich at 6,600. I mean, look, we, we talked about the beginning of the show. The ceiling is through the roof for Aaron Blanchard. But to me, the question mark with this one is, can she pay off the price tag?
2: It's a good question. And it's also relative to the rest of the uh, the slate and see how the other fights go. But like I mean, I don't see why she can't take JJ Aldrich down to Takedown City, and I don't see why she can't submit her or finish her on the mat. And I know it's not a, a common outcome for JJ JJ Aldrich, and Aldrich has literally faced so many names within the UFC, and it's a good litmus test for her. Like it really is. It's a po- It's a perfect next fight for Blanchfield, who you know really ran right through uh, Miranda Maverick. And uh, you know Sarah Alpar, which you can expect that. But the the a lot of people had high hopes for Miranda Maverick, and I think Blanchfield's the one that should should be hyped. Uh, her jujitsu is just incredible. She attempted eight takedowns against Miranda Maverick, who's really really strong, and she landed seven of them. So mm-hmm. I really like that. She had twelve minutes of control time, and uh, she landed three of three takedowns against Sarah Alpar. So I mean, like on the feet, you got to worry about J.J. Aldrich landed that sneaky left hand of hers. I just think that Blanchfield, she's a smash play. Any It's like getting I don't know, she's one of my favorite fighters within the women's MMA right now, so there's no way I'm going to avoid her. I'll probably be level with the field, but there's plenty of talent in 9,000 options that could, you know, have the same production as her at a cheaper price.
1: The one thing that would concern me, Pete, and you mentioned about those stats against yes, Miranda Maverick: the seven takedowns, twelve minutes of control time. It was a decision win. She scored one hundred fifteen DraftKings points. Yeah, is one fifteen at oh, ninety six hundred going to be enough?
2: No, it's not. Uh, no, she needs JJ Aldrich to be tough. She needs to get <laughs> racked all for a little bit, <laughs> and then she needs to score one twenty and over. Like, um, and that's that's I think that you know one hundred and thirty would be amazing. And I think JJ Aldrich, I don't know, man, like this could, this could be just a dominant showing for Blanchfield again. And we could see like Colby coming numbers in here. So I don't know. I, I really like Blanchfield and I'm going to, I'm just going to trust the skill, but uh, I'll be level with the field.
1: Let's get into our straight up fight picks before we get into Sam's super chat, uh, main events, Volkov and Rosenstruck. I will take Alexander Volkov. Yeah. Volkov for me uh co-main event i'll go evalove
2: i want to pick Gay, but i'm going to
1: uh give me trisano against i made Uh next one is just a coin flip for me um god i'll go patello but don't feel good about I'm it. i'm going patello but i hate it uh i'll go ode osborne against hs
2: yeah i'm gonna say ode osborne but i'll be rooting for my buddy
1: i'll go uh, alonzo menifield
2: menifield this one, ter- <sighs> this one's terrible.
1: <laughs> oh man! Uh, give, me give me Kovacic. Give me
2: I'll go Felice Harrig to be different, but truthfully, zero zero faith.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you talk about the like the do not trust fight of the week. Oh yeah, that's it. Has to be that fight. That's terrible. Uh, give me Joe Selecki. Selecki. I'll take Damon Jackson. Jackson. Uh I'll, I'll go with you with to the, the Solze upset call. Yeah,
2: it's it's okay, but I'm going Stulsay.
1: Uh I'll go gravely against Munoz.
2: I'm going Munoz.
1: Give me Jeff Molina.
2: Z- Zogish Jumagalov.
1: I would go Hanat. And uh Aaron Blanchfield. Blanchfield, baby. All right, Samuel. Appreciate you in the super chat huh, with his usual questions. So let's just start off with his over under number. Samuel you do realize there's 14 fights, right?
2: Sam. I compliment you, Sam. And then you come out with this line. I don't know. Remember the last time I ragged on Sam in a joking manner and then he, he was like, perfect. Like he yeah, living in a mansion. I'm, I'm
1: saying just saying it, Sam. when it's 14 fights, it's hard for me to say under six and a half. I, I got to uh, go over. I got to go over. I got to go over, Sam. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's certain fights you I mean, there's certain fights you look at and say, man, that's got a good chance to go decision, but Man, just too many fights, and this is just, like, on paper, this is not a sexy UFC card. We both know this. But more times than not, these are the cards that ultimately deliver.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm really surprised they got Blanchfield as the first fight of the night. It kind of pisses me off, to be honest, because I just, like, look at the rest of the card, and I'm like, yo, J.J. Aldrich has so many fights in the UFC. And you're gonna put Kareem Silva and Poliano Botello up the card like that. Like, are you kidding me? What are we doing?
1: Uh the, the Patello Silva on the main card is surprising to me. But what are we doing? I was a little surprised when I saw Herrig and Colby K, which was on the prelims on the main card. I thought they would have put them on the main card just based on name value.
2: I think that should be the first fight of the night. That thing's terrible.
1: You know, I mean, hell, I, I would probably put the, the Zalgis Molina fight on on the main card over. Silva and Patello. That's
2: what I don't understand. Like, I don't know. It's got to be because it's like a, a large Brazilian crowd tuning in to two Brazilian fighters facing off, possibly. I don't know.
1: Could be. Could be. Uh, top two cash plays.
2: I'm going to go with Blanchfield and Damon Jackson, but, like, that's such a cop-out. So I will go Blanchfield and Renat Fakradinov.
1: Yeah, Boyanfield's got to be number one for me. Um, if I was going to label it number two, Probably Jackson, bro. Yeah, yeah, probably Damon Jackson. Yeah. Uh, GPPs. Uh, first off, I- I'm looking at that Menifee and NASCAR fight, so I I do like Menifee in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of other GPPs, like man, if Evelov goes to takedown route, he could, because I don't. Even though he's called for winning a first round stoppage, I don't see that one happening. That's just, Is that what he said. I didn't hear that. Yeah, so uh, someone mentioned that to me today. Um, he's, I mean, look, is a tough dude. I mean, you just look at the guys he's gone against. Um, he, Avalov has a chance to be a slate breaker with just, you know, say he gets two takedowns per round. There's six takedowns right there. Where are yeah. 30 points.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I just don't see him finishing Ige. I mean, he could, but so, like, for, for GPPs, kind of to piggyback for uh, Sam's question, do you view Volkov and Rosenstruck as a priority this week? No, I don't either. There's so many fights. I'm gonna to get to it, but I don't think like taking it an aggressive stance is yeah, necessary. I, I, like,
1: I mean, like to me on the Rosenstruck aspect, if you're you're counting on a first or second round stoppage, I think if you're Volkov, I think you're more looking at the volume of strikes, 25 minutes where he just racks up points. I just, I, I look at other fights on this card as more priority for me than getting to the main event.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that Rosenstruck has shown, even in that Overeem fight, that until the last bell sounds, he's live to pull off the upset. So, like, it's going to be a sweat if you're back in Volkov, no matter what, but I don't necessarily view it as a priority for GPPs.
1: Uh, top underdogs.
2: Oh, God. I mean, for me, I think uh, Zhelga Shumagulov, despite not showing his skill in the UFC, strong camp, wrestling upside. Like, wrestling upside is something that is going to make you my favorite underdog on the slate, and that's where I'd have to side with him, where I think, like, Stolze could go out there and, and, you know, put a beating on Saint Denis, but I'd much rather... Uh, I would much rather back the the uh, resume of Jalga Uh
1: Top uh, favorite inside the distance for me. I'm looking at that midfield fight.
2: Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, you mentioned that. I really like um, Renat Fakradinov, too. I think it's sneaky.
1: In terms of uh, leverage place, it's a guy that's not known for finishes, Trezano.
2: Yeah. He, he's talked about it in the media. So, like, it all comes down to, A, this is our first look. Saturday when we when we see the weigh-ins tomorrow and you know we can kind of recalibrate and see what we like if there's any changes but like I mean I I don't know I, I'm gonna think that the same thing's gonna happen. Jordano wins a close decision.
1: Dart throw to me, I would throw out Dan Ige. Even though I don't like him to win the fight, but I just think price point. You know, even if it's a you know he goes out there and gets you 70 points. I mean at that price tag, it's not allowed to get to a lot of things.
2: Yeah, oh, it is. And I tell you that was. My initial build was putting Ege in there just to mess around and see who I could get to, and man, you could get to so many talented fighters.
1: In terms of uh, top optimal plays, I, everyone I've mentioned the midfield men fight. You know the other fight that I'd mentioned, I think, is a top optimal play: Osborne and Adeshev.
2: I agree with that. I agree with yeah. that. I mean, like Osborne's cardio is is questionable, but his skills and his round one and two finishing potential for the division for a division, not necessarily known for finishes is uh pretty crazy. So he could be one of the sneakiest on the slate and, you know, credit to my buddy Zaruk, like over 15 minutes, he can put together a good game plan of just like picking up the volume and making Osborne tire. So I'll be getting shares of my buddy. And, you know, mainly because I hope that he pulls it off.
1: You know, the ultimate question of that fight is can he overcome that reach disadvantage that he has in, in the matchup that that to me is what it comes out to. I think it might be too tough. Yeah, of course. I uh, appreciate everyone tuning in for the awesome.com MMA strategy show. Of course, uh, be sure to give this video a thumbs up. That does help us out a lot as well. Of course, just subscribe to the Be sure to do that. Hit that notification bell. So, you know, when the show is live here on the channel. Of course, we got you covered starting six o'clock tonight. MLB live for lock. This seven will be NBA deeper dive. And then just shortly after eight o'clock, it will be. NBA Live Before Lock gets you ready for game one of the NBA Finals. We'll be back on Saturday, noon Eastern time for Live Before Lock. Hopefully everyone has a great Thursday. We will talk to you on Saturday for during Live Before Lock. Have a good day, everybody.
0: Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on prize picks. The most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepickscom get 100 and use code get 100. That's code get 100 at prizepickscom get 100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy.